Lord and I have uh, really looked forward uh, to this time until we got to today. Uh, because we leave tomorrow. And uh, you know what? I'm not given to a lot of emotion. Uh, however, uh, it's hard to leave after 22 years. And uh, we love all of you so very, very much. And uh, we, we just thought we would live and die in L.A. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's just something that grandkids do to you. And uh, we've, we've never had the privilege and joy of ever living where any of our grandkids live. And uh, we've got three sets of grandkids, one in uh, San Francisco, one in Phoenix, and one in Northern Virginia. And so last October, when the church in Phoenix asked if we would consider uh, moving to Phoenix and working there, uh, the only draw was the fact that uh, three of our grandkids were there, and our daughter and son-in-law. <laughs> but we've lived with them before. And uh, interestingly, Christy in San Francisco, when we made the decision to go to Phoenix, she said, why, why Phoenix? We said, because they ask us. She said, oh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, it really is. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to that aspect of it, but it's very, very hard to leave. Uh, we, we've, our lives have intersected in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, a, a group like this it, it really is our spiritual family. But our spiritual family really is bigger than this. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we've got friends and disciples that are all over the world. We don't know them yet. One of these days we are going to know them because it's going to be a huge fellowship in heaven. But uh, we've got with us today uh, so, some people from a long way away that I really uh, want you to know and meet because to me they're, they're heroes. Uh, Hiromi is with us today, and, and I want to introduce them to them just a minute and have them stand. But Mishitaka and Hiromi used to lead the church in Tokyo. Uh, that wasn't enough challenge for them, so they moved to China. And uh, they're in the church in Guangzhou. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be in the church in Guangzhou and preach there uh, about three years ago. It's probably the third largest church in China. And, uh, of course, everything in China is underground. But uh, uh, with us today are Hiromi and her daughter and her mom. And I'd like for them to stand, please, and let's recognize them. <laughs> people, people like them are heroes. But we're all heroes because we've all answered the call of God. And, and today I want to talk about it and really thinking about what to share is a final message. And this is a message uh, that I've gotten to share, that Gloria and I have gotten to share in the West and uh, last week in, in Long Beach and, and here today. And as you sort of think about, okay, what kind of message do we want to leave? 
And uh, I, I really, it came then the question, okay, what is it that really matters? What is it that is really, really important? And, uh, you know, for Calvin Johnson, the answer of where Elaine's health was going to turn out really mattered. We're so thankful, you know, that she's cancer-free. And, uh, you know, something that is important to Gloria and me, if this works, the clicker works, hopefully. There we go. That's our family. Those are our kids and our grandkids. The, uh, the group up here on the right here are the ones we're going to be with in Phoenix. You notice one of them is a little different color. <laughs> She's the life of the party. Her name is Nyla. They've had her from birth. They got her as a foster child. And, uh, you know, she kind of rules the roost. And uh, we just want to go and make sure she doesn't rule it too much. But, uh, you know, family is really important to us. And uh, yeah, family is important to everyone. But, you know, when we answer the question, what is it that is really important? And it really... That, that question is not totally complete uh, because you've got to say, important to whom? It's one thing if I answer, what is important to me? And we've all got things that are very, very important to us and things that really, really matter. But the ultimate question for us as disciples of Jesus and followers of God is what is important to God? What is it that really matters to God? And so today we're going to be talking about some things. And, and I preached a sermon somewhat similar to this probably about 15 years ago because I discovered a verse that to me had a lot of impact to me. And uh, some of you may even remember this is pretty far advanced from what I did back then because, you know, as you think about these things, they grow on you. But in terms of what really matters to God... And, 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 of course, the kingdom of God is a, is a really important aspect of this. And we even, sometimes we get hung up, oh, what, is, what is the kingdom of God? We'd answer today, well, it's a church. And that's right. But you know, but the kingdom of God didn't start with the church. The kingdom of God has always existed. And, uh, you know, we don't understand kingdom as much today because that's kind of an archaic term with us. And we think about, you know, Great Britain and so forth, and they had a kingdom. And, uh, you know, but with us traveling and working a lot in the Middle East, kingdoms are very important. Because a lot of the countries in the Middle East are kingdoms. And they understand what kingdom really is. You see, there are two basic ingredients or components for kingdom. One is you got to have a king. But, you know, a lot of people have self-proclaimed themselves as kings, and they didn't end up with a kingdom. Why? Because you've also got to have followers. So a kingdom, then, is, is someone or something that is made up of a king and people who are followers and have allegiance to that kingdom. And so the kingdom of God, then, naturally, then, is God is the king, and all of the people, then, who have allegiance to God. 
And so the kingdom of God then didn't start just with the church. The kingdom of God has always existed. In fact, it existed in heaven before the creation of mankind because you had God and you had the angels who were followers of God. And you have then the whole Old Testament story with its ups and downs, but basically with God as the king and those people who ultimately followed the king. And the kingdom of God today then is God the king and the people in the church who are following God, that is us, amen? And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to take our lesson out of a combination of the book of Romans and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because both of them talk a lot about this. And the book of Romans is a very interesting book. You know, Paul wrote about 14 books in the New Testament. But the book of Romans is very different than all the others that he wrote. And the reason that they're different is because Paul wrote to the church in Rome in a place that he had never been to. All the other letters that he wrote were, were churches that he had established, that he had planted. Here was a church that he wrote to a place he had never been. He didn't start the church there. He didn't really have any authority in the church there. And so he wrote the book to Rome really as a letter of introduction. Because Paul had a dream. And that dream was, you know, it wasn't enough for him to start churches in, in Asia Minor. He had a dream beyond that. He wanted to start the church in Spain where no one had ever heard of Jesus Christ. And so to do that, he knew he needed help. And between him and Spain, guess what, was the church in Rome. And he realized in order to do that, he was going to have to have help from the church in Rome. And so he wrote the letter to Romans, to the Romans, to really introduce himself and to tell basically his theology. And so Romans then is, is sort of the theology book of the New Testament. And so in that then, we find out a lot of the important principles. He didn't write about problems as much in the book of Romans. He wrote about the basics of what's really important. And so today, I'm, we're going we're to focus on one verse in Romans that, that if you don't have it underlined, or you don't have it starred, or, or if you don't have it, whatever you do in cyberspace, whatever, do it. Because this is a very, very important verse. One of the problems that everyone was dealing with in that part of the world at that time was idol worship. Because there were so many different gods, and the way people worshiped gods back in that time was through sacrifice of animals. And so with all of these different gods and all of this animal sacrifice, there was a huge surplus of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And typically what people did, because you only sacrificed a part of the animal, and the rest of it was yours to keep. And so what people would do was sell their meat to the meat market. So that when you went down to the meat market to buy meat, there was a pretty high chance you were buying meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And so this was bothering the conscience of some Christians. Is, is it okay or do we have to become vegetarians to avoid even the possibility that we, we've, we're eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? So this was a burning question, a real question in people's minds. And so Paul answers that question in this verse. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, it really doesn't matter what you eat. Now, we, we are more health conscious today, especially in Los Angeles, and so we do care some what we eat. But Paul said, you know, spiritually, that's not a big issue. He says those are not the, the, focusing on the physical is not what's important overall in the kingdom of God. He says there are a big three. And these are the things we're going to talk about today because he says the kingdom is a matter of three things. First of all, it's a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of peace. And it's a matter of joy. And so those are the three things we're going to, we're going to talk about. Now, you, you remember Jesus, as he talked in the Sermon on the Mount, and again, we're going to talk again uh, to a number of verses from the Sermon on the Mount. But he says there in Romans chapter 6 and verse 33, a lot of you have that memorized already. Because he's talking about, okay, what, what's really important in terms of the things that we focus on in life? And the things that we're concerned about, about clothing, about food, about housing, about all those kind of things. And Jesus said, you know, that's not the really important thing. He says, the most important thing is the kingdom of God. And that's what he says, you've got to seek first the kingdom. That's got to be the priority in our life, is to seek first the kingdom. And, but he also then goes on in that and gives us the first of these three points. He says, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness. If we can have the next slide. If this, okay. Righteousness. That's a long religious word that confuses a lot of people. Now, you can see the root word in it. It's right. And so righteousness has to do somehow with being right. But again, like our question of what really matters, right to whom? And we can really get messed up in our Christianity of defining what righteousness really is in a wrong kind of way. Jesus, going to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I mean, most of us here in our society don't really go through a lot of hunger and thirst. Most of our, hung most of our hunger comes from dieting which is self-imposed. As soon as I go to Phoenix, I need to diet. But he said, you know what? This needs to be so important that we really hunger and thirst. I remember the time that I probably have, have been more thirsty than any time in my whole life. It was when I was playing football in Texas in August 95 degrees and 95% humidity. And asked myself, why am I doing this? Because <laughs> back in those days, the coaches think, thought that you needed to deny yourself, which meant that you didn't have drinks during workout. And lo and behold, every single day during our workouts, there was a truck that came by and filled up his truck with water at a fire hydrant. And I decided then, when I grew up, I was going to drive that truck. Because <laughs> that man had all the water he wanted. That's motivation. That's thirst. Paul, Jesus says, you know what? We need to hunger 
and third. That doesn't need to be on a list of the top three things that we go after. He says it needs to motivate us. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But we got to get it right when we do that. Because Jesus also says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom. Now this is confusing when you look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because I tell you what, in terms of religious righteousness, they had it down. They, now Jesus had a lot of problems with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But in terms of what they did in their practice of their religion, they were righteous because they tried to obey their law to the absolute dotting the I and crossing the T. You know, for instance, tithing in their, if we can back, go back I'm not to that point yet. <laughs> uh, tithing. Absolutely, that was a part of the old law. They believed it so much that if you had a vegetable garden and, and you grew herbs in your vegetable garden, you had to give 10% of the herbs that you grew in your vegetable garden. You, you had to count them out. Even defining what it meant not to work on the Sabbath day. They defined what that meant. They said, you know what, there is a certain distance you can go on the Sabbath day, and any further than that, you're working. And so in terms of their righteousness, man, they, they spelled it out. And they conformed to it. They measured up to what they were talking about. But Jesus said, you know what, They're, they miss it. Although they may conform to their system, they have missed what true righteousness really is. So... We're still not there, I don't think. But we'll stay there. Uh, we fall into the same trap in the way that we define righteousness. We can set up and say, well, have I had my quiet time today? H have I shared my faith today? H have I gone to the, the meetings of the body? And, and we can sort of get into this checklist Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? And we can miss the whole point of righteousness. Because the righteousness that Jesus talks about is not about the things that we do. There's something behind that. Because what happens when we get in this checklist mode, this is the way we feel. At a certain point in time, we get to what? You know what? I'm getting burnt out. I can't keep doing this. This is no fun. This is not fulfilling to me. And it, Jesus didn't mean for it to be fulfilling because that's not where he wants us to go. Next slide. Jesus then says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. We're, we're moving too fast here. Let's go. I'm not sure what's happening here. Can we go back a slide? There. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Next one. For I tell you, oops, too far. I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening here. Maybe I can just tell you to advance them and I'll just forget this clicker here. That's, that's the easiest thing. Okay, next one. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons 
and in your name perform many miracles. Next slide. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You got to understand what he's saying here. Jesus is saying on the day of judgment, there are going to be people standing before God who literally in the name of Jesus perform miracles and cast out demons. Anybody here fall in that category? I don't think I've ever known anybody that claimed that as a disciple. And yet Jesus said there are going to be people who literally, they didn't claim it, they did it. They had the gift from the Holy Spirit that they cast out demons and they perform miracles. And Jesus and God are going to say on that day, I never knew you. You see, it's not a matter of what we do. Righteousness is not tied in to just what we do. Next slide. I like this slide. Most of you, I hope, know who this is. This is Jimmy Carter and uh, me a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, th what happened was that President Carter works with Habitat for Humanity. And I don't remember, it's probably 10 or 15 years ago, he was here in Los Angeles helping build a house. And for some reason, there were like 150 people who were invited to have lunch with him in this big tent with these tables. And, uh, and I don't know how it happened, but uh, Chuck Bray and I got an invitation. And uh, we got there early. They were, everybody else was still out building a house. We got there early, and, and, and there were all these empty tables there, and there was no head table. And uh, so Chuck and I said, well, let's, where would we guess President Carter would sit? And so we sat down there, and guess what? That's where he sat. So we, we had an hour lunch with President Carter. And I knew that no one would believe that. <laughs> so I said to President Carter, could I have a picture with you? I brought a camera. Before selfies, right? That was way before selfies. <laughs> and uh, so I quickly handed Chuck the camera said, here, take a picture of us. So, so we're standing up there. And you know what? When you're standing next to the President of the United States, you wonder what do you do with your hands? <laughs> a little bit awkward. You know what he did? He reached out and put his arm around me. You know what I did? I put my arm around him. And I said, Chuck, take the picture quick. <laughs> and so... I mean, I love this picture. But you know what? If I were to meet President Carter today and say, do you remember that day when you were in Los Angeles and I had my picture made with you? You know what he'd say? Who are you? I don't know you. Why? Because we don't have a relationship. I, I sat down with him one hour at lunch. No relationship whatsoever. And that's really the point that Jesus is making. What Jesus is saying, you can do a lot of right things. You can be baptized for the right reason. You can read your Bible. You can share your faith. You can do all these things. But if you don't have a relationship with God, ultimately God is saying, I never knew you. 
Now, it's, it's a lot like marriage. Gloria and I have been married going on 53 years. And we do a lot of neat things for each other. But we don't do them because we're afraid we'll get in trouble if we don't do them. We do them because we love each other and we want to make each other happy. And that's how we've got to get in the mode with God and with Jesus and the kingdom is what we do has got to be motivated because we love God. We appreciate what he's done for us. We love the relationship with him. Reading our Bible is not a chore. It's reading a love letter from him and communicating with him. And, and believe me, this is work because you can do this and it can get old after a while. But you know what? That's true in marriage, too. If you don't work at it, it'll get old. It'll get stale. But we got to understand what we're really talking about in righteousness is being right with God by having a relationship with God, which will result in doing a lot of great things. It's not a matter of what we do. It's why we do them. And when we do them because we love God and we're trying to please God and we want, we want to fulfill what His wishes for us, then we've got a relationship and that's what God wants from us and that's the righteousness that Jesus is talking about that we need to seek first with all of our heart and we hunger and thirst for that. So that's righteousness. Let's so move on to the next slide. Well, i got to say this in verse. I love this picture. This is a kid's view but this is really right. This is, a kind of, this is what we need to view our relationship with God and Jesus as. You know, it's like we just go hand in hand through life. Everywhere we go, I go with Jesus. I don't go anywhere Jesus doesn't go. He's my buddy. He's my friend. He's my pal. We've got the relationship. It's me and Jesus. Next slide. Let's talk about peace. And this is the three things is the one that I've really got the least time to develop. Because I don't, we don't hear a lot of sermons about peace. And yet, we, we know that we wish for peace. All you think about is the news today. And what's going on in Ukraine. What's going on in Gaza. What's going on in so many different places. I think there's something like over 100 wars going on somewhere in the world today. From the world standpoint, there certainly is not peace. However, Paul says to us that one of the big three is peace. Next slide. Now, what do you think about when you think about peace? Wouldn't you like to be here where you're on the 405 tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, you look at a picture like that, and that's peace. And, 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 but many, many different ideas and many different models and many different pictures come up with us. But one of the things that I'm, I'm, as I get older and as I've seen more things happen in the kingdom, the more I understand, I think that the number one weapon that Satan has against us is disunity. I mean, whether it's, it's in relationships with each other, whether it's in relationship with our marriage, which is relationships with our next door neighbors or, or people we work with or whatever. I think the number one thing that Satan really does to shut us down and stop progress that we would like to make is creating disunity. But somehow 
as it says here, make every effort to keep the unity of spirit. How? Through the bond of peace. We've got to understand that somehow at the basic root, peace is so absolutely important. And, and we know, I, I, can, I can hug somebody who, who I know and tell if we're at peace with each other or not. Oh, yeah. you, you can just feel, we're spiritual beings. And we've got to understand how absolutely important peace, our, our, our peace has got to be in the kingdom of God. Next slide. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now this is, I didn't mention this, but this is in the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' top eight. You know, he gives a Sermon on the Mount, which really is the crux of Christianity in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in those first verses there, he really boils it all down and, and lists eight critically important things. And, and we already mentioned one was righteousness. But the second one, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I think this is something that, that we understand in terms of trying to please God and have this kind of relationship. What Jesus is calling us to is to be a peacemaker. Peacemaker with anybody that we're in relationship with or, or anybody that we meet, anybody we have the opportunity to meet, we understand the importance of making peace because that's where unity comes from and that's the only hope that we really have in the kingdom as we live in today. However, I think the, the practical application of this one has all got to be, this is really directly tied to evangelism. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Blessed are the peacemakers. And what's the most important peace that we can form with anybody? It's God, isn't it? Helping people come to peace with God. Hopefully we've got that peace with God. But we live surrounded by people who don't understand that peace at all. And what Jesus is saying is that we have got to understand that one of our basic roles in our life is being a peacemaker, trying to help bring people into a peaceful relationship with God. And you know, so, I mean, I grew up in a church situation that thought, well, you know, sharing your faith and evangelism, that's a gift. You either have it or you don't. If it's your gift, go do it. If you don't, go do something else. Jesus is saying, no, this is very basic. This is, this is one of the basic things is we are all, regard, we, regardless of our, of our gift set, we're all called to be peacemakers. Because I've got the opportunity with people that no one else does. No one else has my circle of friends. And I'm the only one who can interact with all of those people with a goal, with a prayer of helping them to come in a peaceful relationship with God. Next slide. It's so great to see the peace that comes in the church. And again, focusing on Ukraine. Uh, today in Kiev, over 2,000 disciples will meet together. The interesting thing about the church in Kiev, it's made up of 50% people who are Ukrainian and 50% who are Russian. They love one another. They're at peace with one another. And even in the contribution that we have taken up to help the church in the Ukraine, as was mentioned in the video, there are churches in Russia that are taking up contributions to help the church 
in Kiev. You see, this is what happens. This is what happens in the Middle East. Is that among disciples, you, you've got churches that they're basically Palestinian who've been severely abused and hurt by their Jewish neighbors. But because of God and what God has done, because of the peace that God has brought, they love rather than hate. I still remember Sammy, and, and some of you know Sammy because he was the, one of the basic planters of the church uh, in, uh, where was he church? <laughs> Iraq. Uh, and he was in prison because of that. But I remember being in one of his studies when he was just a teenager. And his goal, he was Palestinian, his goal growing up was to kill a Jew. That, that was his lifelong goal, to kill a Jew. And in counting the cost, obviously he had to give up that dream. <laughs> but to see the transformation that comes because of peacemakers that, that, that break down these walls, that break down the hate, that break down all the things that Satan tries to cause in our life so that we as a kingdom, whether you're talking about the church in China or whether you're talking church in, in Japan or Ukraine or the Middle East or United, wherever it is, there's peace. Okay, let's move on to the last one. Joy. You know, this again, like righteousness, is a very confusing thing to people. Now, what do people confuse joy with? Happiness. Most people, if you take a poll of people, what is your main goal in life? I want to be happy. And they don't understand what they really want is joy, not happiness. Why? Is there anything wrong with being happy? Anybody that doesn't like to be happy? I like to be happy. The problem with happiness is it depends on circumstances. You know, when things don't go well, when you're, when you're in the hospital waiting for the results on a cancer test, it's hard to be happy. It's very different than joy. Because joy does not depend on circumstances. There's not a single situation in life that we cannot be joyful about. Next slide. Paul says, what is our hope? Our joy are the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? So one of the main sources of joy has got to be the relationships that we have with one another. Now guess what? If you don't have very good relationships with one another, it's kind of hard to be joyful, right? Because what he's saying is the body of Christ, the kingdom of God on earth today is meant to be tied together through relationships. And one of my biggest concerns in the church today is a breakdown of relationships, a breakdown of discipling. Oh, we're buddy-buddy. We, like we like to hug each other at church. But, but I'm talking about the, the, the involvement with one another where we share our lives with each other. Someone that really knows me in and out, that knows what I struggle with, that knows what I lust after, that knows my sins, who can help me and challenge me. And we've gotten away from this. I'm a firm believer as an elder that every single person in the church needs at least one person that they're in a discipling relationship with. 
And I'm not talking about a group. Now, I'm not against groups. I, I like discipleship groups. Groups don't do what I'm talking about because you can hide in a group. Everybody needs at least one person in our life who really knows us and we know them well enough that they can come into the body here today and we can look at them and say, what's wrong? We, we know them that well because we're together. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, this is going to be the crown that we wear. Our relationship with each other. And, and, and we've got this, this, I can't emphasize it, my concern enough because we slipped so much in this. And unfortunately, Gloria and I do a fair amount of marriage counseling. And I'm concerned with the marriages in the last few years that have gotten into serious trouble. And it's interesting anymore, when we, when we start getting with a couple, we ask them two questions. Two questions that we already know the answer to before we ask them, because we've asked it enough and we know what answers we're going to get. Number one, how's your relationship with God? They almost always say, not very good. The other question is, who is really helping you in your marriage that really knows what you're going through? They always say nobody. You see, we, for, for so many years, there were no divorces in the church. That wasn't an accident. Because we insisted that people were involved in each other's lives and you can head off these problems so early. If you really have someone in there who can help. I could go on on this a while, but I don't have time. You want, you want to hear Gloria here in a minute. Next slide. This is another one. I, my background is physics. And so I'm big on equations. Here's an equation I have never, ever understood. Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, this is talking, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonian church. Now, get this equation. He says, severe trials, extreme poverty, plus joy equals extreme rich generosity. Now, you figure that out for me. That doesn't make any sense, does it? They got every reason in the world not to be generous. But they had one thing that was thrown in that equation that made all the difference in the world, and that was joy. Because joy changes our life. Joy is so important in the big three that Paul is talking about. It's easy to be joyful when things are going really well, isn't it? Um, you know, for the, the, the youth that just came back from camp, you see them overflowing with joy. They've had such a great time. It's wonderful. Um, different times in our life, you know, at the birth of a baby, at the birth of a grandbaby, we're overflowing with joy. Um, a time that we said that was extra special, in fact, we said it, we were having the time of our life, was in 2011. And uh, interestingly, that was the last time that I saw Hiromi in Guangzhou because we were traveling, Alan and I were traveling, uh, we traveled to 16 different countries and we weren't sightseeing. We were there to visit that many different churches, brothers and sisters all over the world. And in all that traveling, we didn't get sick and we didn't have jet lag. 
and we just were having the time of our life. And that year was also our 50th wedding anniversary and my 70th birthday. So it was a big year. And we started 2012 thinking it was going to be the same kind of thing, making some trips. And then, as all of you know, I started having some problems. I had some swelling in my foot, and we went from there to finding out that I had cancer. And we found that out right before the big jubilee in San Antonio. And what, what better timing, God's timing again, because I had the opportunity to let everyone in the world, all of our brothers and sisters all over the world, know to pray for me. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but you know, um, it's in the hard times like that that we're really challenged with our joy. And uh, of course, another scripture that we read, James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. We read that, but we want to skip the severe trials, don't we? We want to get away from that. And um, I don't know about you, but I have some serious joy stealers in my life. And they are fear and worry. And that's my sinful nature. I can go to fear and worry without any effort. Um, you know, when the girls were sick, when they were little, I could jump from cold to cancer that quickly. If Al was making a trip, I could have him, you know, laid out in a car wreck on the road or a plane crash or whatever in my mind that fast. And here I had a real challenge. As it turned out, I had stage four cancer because it started with some fluid in my lung and ended up I had a hysterectomy and found out it was a strange kind of cancer I'd never heard of, fallopian tube cancer, and had to have chemotherapy and all of that, um, lost my hair, you know, went through the whole thing. And I knew that if I was going to get through that, knowing my fear and worry, joy stealers, that it would only be by my holding on to God. Um, I started calling, even before this, I had what I call my lifelines that are scriptures that I hold on to. You know, if you were drowning and you couldn't do anything about it and all of a sudden someone threw you a line, you would grab it, wouldn't you? And you would hold on to that and you wouldn't think, oh, I'm saving myself, I'm doing so well here. No, you would just be desperate and holding on for all you could. And that's, where I, that's what I felt like when I was in the middle of cancer. It was so totally out of my control. You know, I didn't want it, didn't ask for it, didn't understand it, as many others have faced. And so what do you do at a time like that? And all I could do was hold on for dear life to the lifelines of scriptures. And I read them every day, the ones that would keep me from being fearful and worried. And... Uh, uh, one that became especially important to me was in uh, 2 Corinthians 1. And that whole chapter is just so rich and full. Uh, but one of the things in it is that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in any kind of troubles that we have so that we can comfort others in any kind of trouble. So I knew to go to God and hold on to his word because I, I needed that. And then as we faced this, there was one point that we weren't sure what the prognosis was. 
And one of the doctors said, possibly, if you have this kind of cancer, it might be a year. And then he started backtracking. Al and I both went, whoa. And then he backtracked and he said, well, we're not sure about this yet. And I have patients that have lived longer and so forth. But all Al and I heard was that one year. And so we were faced with that reality, which, you know, now I look back and I think, aren't we all? We just don't know it. But there are those points in time that you're faced with it and it hits you right, right in the face. And that's what it was for us. And we both woke up at about three or four o'clock in the morning the next morning after that. And I was in tears saying, I'm not ready to go yet. I'm not ready to go yet. And I said, honey, if we just have a year, it's going to be our best year ever. And that's the kind of support that I have from Al Baird, but that's why I'd be glad to marry him all over again. But um, that, that, kind of, <laughs> that kind of support we need from one another, but the real support that carries us through is from God. And as, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, he said he faced death. He, he was desperate. He thought that he was, he was going to give up his life. And he said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but only on God who can raise the dead. And so those are good times. I said, with God, my cancer was good because I could hold on to him. And it taught me things that I wouldn't, wouldn't know any other way. And it's, it's so important to recognize what God's word will do for us. But um, in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 1, I especially want to share because um, I, I just, as I went through it, it was like I felt every stage of what Paul was writing. It said, and it just kind of described my whole experience. But um, in the middle of verse 10, it's, Paul said, on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I felt like my cancer going into remission, which it is now, thank God, is the gracious favor that he granted us because of all your prayers. And, um, you know, as we've shared with different ones now, we just can't be thankful enough for the love and the support and the help and the prayers and the prayers and the prayers that you prayed for us and know that uh, how powerful that is. And it was such, it was such a, a joy to me to pray for Elaine um, and have the specific prayers that Calvin sent out so that we could know that God's granted gracious favor to her now because of the prayers of many and how powerful that is, how much we need each other. And I was sharing with some this morning that um, it's so sad for us to be leaving now and uh, we're feeling the emotion of it as it's, as it's the reality. Um, I know it's going to hit me at different ways, but um, I'm so thankful that in the kingdom that it's not like we're really leaving each other or that we're losing these relationships here, we're just going there and adding more and, uh, and, and headed all of us together toward eternity. And for that, we can be filled with joy. And I love you so, so much. And thank you so much. Next slide, please. I think uh, the, the real answer I mean, there, there comes times when the tests in this life are so absolutely 
overwhelming. That the ultimate answer is the answer that was the answer for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think, you know, we'll never face what Jesus faced because I don't think any of us could bear up with what he faced. And he couldn't bear up with what he faced except for this. He understood what was ahead. He understood what was waiting for him when he returned to the Father. He understood what it was going to be like in heaven. And I think that, that we've all got to grab a hold of that because we all get to points in our life when we say, I just can't go on. How can I keep going on? But ultimately the answer is to realize, you know what? God is preparing a place in heaven for me right now. I can make it because it's worth it. And I know it's going to be a time with no joy, with no sadness, no tears, no problems, no anything. It's going to be absolute paradise. And that one thing can absolutely keep us going. Next slide. So what is it then that really, really matters? Next slide. Some of you saw, I think it went out of CCB, this article about this uh, young woman in, uh, in Beirut. And uh, it, it's about a situation, you know, the situation in Syria is so absolutely serious. And there are Syrian refugees everywhere. Uh, even when we were in Amman this last time, there, there is a camp outside of Amman that has 1.4 million refugees from Syria. I mean, we, we can't understand at all what it's like I mean, these people are living under tarpaulins and plastic and, and those kind of things and, and, and don't know where life is going at all. In, in the midst of that, this article was about a, a young woman who was converted from, from Islam. And of course, uh, conversion from Islam is a death threat automatically. If you're a, if you're, if you're a good, good Muslim and you're a parent, you'll kill your child if they convert. Uh, and so under, under the threat of death, she converted. And she actually went back home to Syria to share with her parents to hope that she could convert them. But then this article was about how she shared her faith then with another Muslim girl from another country. And it's a very, very encouraging article. But what, what I want to share with you is a response that one of the sisters in the West had to this article. Next slide, please. This is a quote from this sister in the West. She said, this is such a great message and story about this young woman's love for Christ. Among other things, it made me pause to realize that I've grown lazy in my Christian life, taking way too much for granted. Next slide. Perhaps worse than that is seeing how much I have forgotten. Meaning why I came to Christ the state of my life before being baptized, and so on. Thanks for sending out this great story and for making me think about my Christian walk again. Now, why do I share this? Because this sister is not unique. You know, as we go through our Christian walk, we all go through peaks and valleys, don't we? We all go through times of forgetting what we came from the blessings that God has for us. And we all need wake-up calls 
to keep us going because, as we know, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, and most of you have got 30, 40 years left in your Christian walk. And to make it to the end, we've got to have encouragement. We need each other. We, we need these kind of stories. We need to be seeing miracles in our lives and encouraging each other with these miracles. Next slide. So I want to leave you with three takeaways, and then the lesson is yours. Basically, a summary of, to me, the most important three things that I think that we as a church need today. Next slide. First of all, it's all about my walk with God. Ultimately, that's all that matters. No matter where you are in the world, if you're on a desert island, if you're in Ukraine, if you're in Amman, if you're, if you're in South Bay, wherever you are, really the only thing that really matters is my walk with God. Nothing else. You know, when I go to heaven and face the judgment day, God is going to ask for my excuses. All that's going to count is my walk with God. That's all that's important. And I've got to fight for that. I, I, with all of my heart, I've got to hunger and thirst for that kind of relationship with God. Next slide. Secondly, I need disciples intimately in my life. I'm, I'm pretty well convinced that the vast majority of us will not make it if we don't have disciples in our life. And I mean intimately in our life to help us, to encourage us, because Christianity is not a God in me religion, if you know what I mean by that. He built it so we need one another. We need the encouragement and the strength that we draw from one another. Last slide. Is that you and I have so much to give. Satan really works on us and feel like, well, what do I have to give? I mean, I'm not talented in this. I can't speak publicly. I can't do this. I'm not good at this. And these are all lies of Satan. You know, every single one of us have unique gifts that God has given us. And we need to learn what these gifts are. We need to encourage each other in these gifts. And we need to realize we've got gifts to give. And when we give, we build up one another in a great way. I want to, um, next slide, just a refresher from this verse, because I want you to remember this verse. I want you to reflect on this verse. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Before we go to the next slide, this next slide to me is what our life needs to be with God. Next slide. <laughs> this kid, I don't know how old he is, probably not two yet. You think he's having a good time? You think he's afraid? This is what we need to be in our life. You see, because why is he not afraid? Because he trusts those hands down there, that they're going to catch him. And that's what our life is meant to be with God, is we trust God so much that he throws us up in the air, and it may be scary, but you know what? We go through some scary situations with a silly grin on our face because we've got the confidence that God is going to catch us, and God is not going to let us get hurt in any way that's going to damage what's really important in our life. So let's remember the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. May God bless all of you. Amen.